Hello and thank you for listening to episode 442 of 60MW. I'm Dave. And I'm Tom. And this is another remastered interview show from back in our 80s picture house days. And Tom, this one's going back to July 2013. Wow. Mm, episode 53 of 80s Nine picture house. Nine years almost. <laughs> I know. Crazy. No wonder I can't remember it. <laughs> this is yeah, gone in the mists of time. In our memories. Sybil Danning, mate, what a guest. Yes, what a great name to have on the show. Oh, yeah, I know we were so excited. And everybody will hear, because again, just in case anybody's not listened to these before, we do have our tongue so far in our cheek, it probably comes through the other side. When we say remastered shows, it's more just re-released with a new introduction that you're listening to now. Well, Dave, you were saying before we started recording, he sounded very good. So um... Yeah, it did sound good. Sybil sounds great on it. I don't know what microphone and that she was using back in 2013, but she sounds really good on it. Better, better than we do, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she talked. Well, hopefully everybody listening to this listened to uh, myself and Tom in the March show, I think it was, where we talked about Howling yeah. 2. Yes. Sybil Danning, of course, in that. Listen to that. Um, she mentions Howling 2. She does mention, of course, a film that was released in the same year as Howling 2, Malibu Express. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's probably the reason we went to, we tried to get her to come on. I think love of Andy Sidaris. So. Yeah, that was it. Because we do, we do tell her that the first episode of 80s Picture House, we talk about Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And then we go on to Malibu Express. She's also talking about working with Klaus Kinski. There's, I mean, you know, when you're Sybil Danning, you've done quite a lot. <laughs> and she goes through quite a lot in it, mate. Um, but yeah, another one that we were so excited to talk with. And then afterwards we do get, you know, our excitement comes through. Which I think is always good, isn't it? You know, we don't, No, absolutely. We, we don't hide our excitement, do we? No, not at all. So, uh, yeah, that, that's it as far as remastering goes. It's this little intro <laughs> we're just doing. Uh, I was looking, mate, after this one, if I remember rightly, we've got another 1980s Picture House interview shows to release. Oh, wow. Yeah, we've still got a lot in the back catalogue still to uh, to point to people's ears here on this channel now. So uh, shall we disappear? Yes, and go back, go back nine years. Go uh, back nine years, yeah, to July 1983. Insert mystical time travel sound. 2013. <laughs> oh. Not 1983. Oh, see. I don't think I'd have been out, uh, much of a uh, interviewer. Imagine you interviewing Sybil Danning in 1980, July 1983. I would have been about seven months old, so... <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't be great. You'd well, it be... could be better than it is. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have been talking, well, you always call Welsh baby talk, mate, so you could have been talking Welsh, couldn't you? Yeah, and um, in a sort of role of role reversal of um, Boogaloo Shrimp, I, the interviewer, could have been the one having a shit while the interview was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and if people don't get that reference, please go and listen to our re-released interview show with Boogaloo Shrimp. Uh, yeah, very true, Tom. Very true indeed. So, uh, yeah. Sit back, relax, get comfortable. And me and Tom in, I nearly got it wrong again then, 2013, chatting to Sybil Danning. Hi there, everybody. This is Sybil Danning, and you're listening to the 80s Picture House, the fabulous 80s Picture House. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the 80s Picture House and the 12th of our In Conversation With series. I'm Dave and as always I'm joined by my fellow co-host Tom. Hello there. And today we're delighted to be joined by a woman who is the epitome of the elegant, sexy and strong female character in movies. She is the wonderful Sybil Danning. Hello Sybil. Hi. Hello Dave. Hello Tom. Hello everybody. Well, thank you for joining us. We're both really excited to, to chat with you today. I'm, I'm more than delighted to talk to you because I understand you are calling me from Wales. Mm -hmm. And though I've never been to that beautiful country, 
I did have the pleasure of meeting someone who is a son of Wales, and that was Richard Burton. So, um, from Puncher de Vin, I oh. know. I was oh. born in Puncher de Vin. And he actually told me that I pronounced it correctly. So, um, I'm, I'm more than honored to be talking to you today and to my fans in Wales and in Ireland and, uh, um, in, uh, of course, the UK. And uh, and Scotland, mm-hmm. you cover everything. Oh, we do worldwide. We are worldwide. Oh well, then and hello everybody else. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> uh, your early life was worldwide as well. You were born in Austria, but I believe your early life you travelled all over the place. Could you tell the listeners a, a little bit about all the travels and how those travels eventually got you into the movie business? Well, actually, uh, I won't go way, way back, um, but I, I did start out um, working for my uncle. My, uh, my family in Austria are um, doctors and dentists, and I worked for my uncle who was a dentist and then uh, moved my way to Vienna from a little town and, uh, and then on to Salzburg, where I um, started uh, actually working as a cosmetologist after I had made my diploma in cosmetology there. And that was um, an agency that um, for models. So what I ended up doing was uh, not only working as a cosmetologist, but I ended up uh, running the agency and making phone calls. And um, I was out there basically... um, booking myself and someone would call in and say oh we have a fashion show on Saturday we're looking for a model I said yes Sibylla Danninger will be there and that was me and they never knew it was me booking me (laughs) so that was Sibylla Danninger okay and then uh, I did a lot and and traveled the world I went everywhere from you know Italy to uh, to Japan in my modeling uh, not so much France because I was never the skinny rail that the French like, but the Italians and, uh, and, and Asia I went to. And, um, and one day a photographer called and said, Sybil, a director is here and he saw your pictures and he's looking for someone to play Lorelei in his movie. And so I did that. It was a horrible experience. Uh, I had to go for hours by train because uh, in those days, even today in Europe, the stars are not uh, spoiled. But I was a beginner. And so there was no air, airplane ticket for me. I had to go by train and I had to sit on this ice cold um, cliff overlooking the Rhine River, uh, only dressed in a long Lorelei, kind of like Lady Godiva wig that uh, mostly covered my nude body in November. So I ended up having a high fever, sick as a dog, went back on the train. I said, if this is movie making, it ain't for me. And went back to my um, doing my, you know, modeling work where, by the way, I made a lot more money and I didn't have to go through what I went through until the big newspaper or, or magazine um, in Germany, Stern, came out with me across two huge pages inside and promoting the movie and me. And then, you know, after that, another director came and, and uh, offered me uh, another movie. And one thing led to another. Then I had an agent. And then I moved from Salzburg to Munich, Germany, because in those days, you know, there wasn't that much going on in Austria. Everything was happening in Germany. So Germany has always been the big brother to Austria. We speak the same language. So it was natural for me to move to Munich, and I moved there, and that's where my career began. And from the movies that were done at that time, which were, you know, little sexy movies, um, I was lucky enough because I spoke English, and my English was very good, that I could... um, take part in big American movies that were shooting in Europe. So that's where it started. Ah, and I was fascinated to read as well. You've been in five films with Christopher Lee. What was it like working with him? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, Christopher. He, you know, yes, I was in five movies with him, and I never ceased to be bored by his stories. Every movie, he would have new stories, and that's what, by the way, he loved doing. I mean, he just loved 
telling stories that he just lived loved his his career and his uh, his roles and his experiences and he was just such a wonderful first of all gentleman and and a very sweet man and he would just tell the most incredible stories and um the one movie that we did which was actually my first movie with him uh that was in uh, at that time it was Rhodesia uh today it's Zimbabwe and it was called Albino it's had a few titles since and um it was uh, it was a wonderful experience shooting there because uh, you know on your days off you could go on a on a photo safari or visit the beautiful Victoria Falls and but what was so interesting was that his his wife was there and um, and she actually you know is she was a a model in in Paris for uh, Dior and he told me he says oh she never comes along but she came along this time and then I said so you don't go on movie sets with Christopher she says oh no it's much too dusty and dirty where he shoots and I don't like I said well there's nothing more dusty and dirty than here right here being out in the plains in in Zimbabwe she says oh yes darling but you have to understand there are emerald mines here <laughs> and uh after Christopher is finished, we're going to go to an emerald mine. I'm going to get a beautiful emerald. So, <laughs> but the funny thing is, you know, I said that I love listening to his stories, but I have to tell you a funny story because I really had a great time on that set because besides listening to Christopher, um, because, you know, Christopher doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't gamble. He just tells his story. Well, his wife does all of the above. So she and I sat, we drank, we smoked, we played cards, and we had a great time. So um, that's my first movie with Christopher. And then we went on to do other movies. As you know, we did, um, let's see, what was the next one? I think um, the next one, uh, let's say I did The Salamander with him. Um, then I did... Um, the Howling 2, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see. Oh, well, we did Three and Four Musketeers, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have to think what the other two were. Yeah. yeah. And, and something, I have to really say something that I learned from Christopher because he's just such a wonderful actor. Um, he told me once that no matter, that was in particular when we were doing The Howling, he told me, he said, Sybil, you know, no matter how, small your role is or how strange it is if you have to act with hair glued to your body always take your role serious because if you do your fans will and uh, that's something that I learned because so many times I've seen actors come and it's kind of like oh, I really hate being on this movie I just want to check and go home <laughs> and um, and that's the wrong thing to do because we're there and I've always said, and he did the same, when you take on a role, you give it your all or just don't do it, okay? Mm -hmm. So oh. that was the most important thing that I learned from him. That's a good thing to learn, too. Oh, yes. And I'm going to have to, normally we'd sort of keep things in chronological order, but I can't keep this contained. I'm going to have to ask you this question. We were lucky enough a few episodes ago, we got to chat with Cynthia Rothrock, we asked her exactly the same thing as I'm going to ask you now. And this is, why, oh why, has Sylvester Stallone not got in touch with you for an Expendables film? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, um, first of all, there aren't too many women in there. Mm -hmm. And I think with all the guys they have in there, when they take an Asian girl, then it's for the Asian market. Um, and, um, or... Well, Cynthia, I mean, she's she's a great martial artist. I don't know why they haven't taken yeah. her, but maybe it's just because they go for the Asian market, which is huge, you know, for action. Um, and I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, like I said, I don't hang out with him. I have great respect for him. I think he's one of the greatest writers, directors, mm -hmm. and he's, he's a damn good actor. And <laughs> I don't have to mention uh, great at action. <laughs> that's it because the amount of films that you've been in because you were one of the female action stars the you know the the iconic of image of you with a gun and i'm sure all of your fans across the world would love to see you uh in those sort of films again and i think the expendables would they, they should definitely 
put a part in there for you? Well, you never know. I mean, they're doing three now. So who knows? I mean, everybody's in there, including Nick Cage and, and you name it. Everybody's in there. But the problem is they are mainly male oriented. That's what it's all about. It's mm -hmm. about these guys getting together. So, uh, you know, um, unfortunately, they are doing, I have to say fortunately, but unfortunately, they're doing Expendables, which is the female version. Mm -hmm. And it's being done by, you know, the Bridesmaids group. And um and it's going to be a comedy, and I'm sure that's going to work well because you probably heard the heat with Bullock and McCarthy did so well. I mean, they're like, what, at $120 million and the budget was like $43 million. Mm -hmm. Just shows you that I'm always happy when I see a female action movie doing well, but I'm, I'm at the same time sad because I'm thinking, okay, let's let these, you know chicks pick up guns and shoot but we won't take it serious we'll make a comedy out of it because we know they can't we can't really put them in serious situations it's got to be funny mm -hmm. but at least they're doing action movies with women so that's another step so i think if anybody's going to do a serious one with women i'm going to have to do it because you know like you said people like cynthia are not asked to do serious stuff and um but who knows i don't know yet who's going to be in uh, in um um, expend the bells. I'm sure it's going to do very, very well, and we'll see. But I think uh, to get back to what you said, I think I'll probably have to make that happen myself, and and that's not easy to do. But hey, I ain't giving up, and <laughs> I always said I'll still be playing the grandma with the shotgun, uh, defending the ranch. You know, when I'm <laughs> 80 or 90. So I've still got time, boys. Okay. Okay, we've got our fingers crossed at this end that we have. Okay, thank you. As long as my fans want to see me out there, I'm going to go out there and kick some ass. Oh, I just yeah. Have to, I just have to make it happen myself and help along. But things are in the works, let good. me tell you. Oh, okay? Good. I, don't sit, I don't sit still for long. And when you don't hear from me, that means I've turned down a lot of junk. Oh, wouldn't you like to play the mother of this and the mother of that? And I said, no. No, thank you. Uh, I'm really looking for more interesting roles. Not mm -hmm. that I put down any mother role, but I got time for that. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm, I'm going to take you back now to 1977 and Operation wow. Thunderbolt. Um, oh, yes. Now Os we're talking. Oh, yeah. Oscar nominated for the best foreign film. You produced yes. it as well. Um, yes. And also it had your friend Klaus Kinski in it as well. Oh, well... Um... That <laughs> well, I also raised the money and I got the distribution, and that was that was really um, that was really something because um, Menachem came, uh, not Menachem Yoram came from uh, Israel to um, to meet with my uh, with my distributors who are also putting up the money, and so finally they said yes, we're going to do this movie, and and they looked forward to doing it, and they committed to doing it, and then. Um, I was actually modeling in Milan when when um, uh, they came up and said, you know, Sybil, we're going to do uh, Entebbe. And I said, you and 10 others, because they already did that. That I love Marvin Chomsky. I know him. But he did that one, you know, that one week one with Elizabeth Taylor, which was a quickie throw together TV movie. Mm -hmm. Then the next one was the um, uh, Urban Kirshner movie. And Urban and I, um, after our both his and my movie came out, we, um, we talked about him and he had great respect for Operation Thunderbolt. And, um, um, but basically, um, so we had the commitment and then um, Menachem, who directed it, uh, came to Munich. He said, okay, Sybil, so you're going to play, you do whatever you can because, you know, you can't look sexy. She was not beautiful. Gabriele Tiedemann was really uh, ugly. And, and I talked to, uh, to survivors and they told me she wore these dark glasses. And, and I really want to make an authentic movie. And I said, I know you're going to make the best one and we're going to shoot it in Israel. We got the whole army behind us and everything, the military. So I know it's going to be great. And I said, don't you worry. I will do what I have to do and I will play that role. Because that was really my first departure from looking sexy and beautiful and whatever in a movie and I was very very eager to do that and plus I played a character that literally went down in history so um, okay so now who are we going to get for uh, um, Klaus Böse um, uh, Wilfried Böse and I said um, 
well, for me, there's only one man, one actor, just like that. I said, it's got to be Klaus Kinski. He says, you know him? I said, yeah, I know him. He said, good, call him. Well, Klaus was in Paris, so I called him in Paris. And um, and Klaus, <laughs> Klaus is Klaus. I don't know how much all my fans know about him, but he, he was a crazy man. Now, I had met Klaus before when I was in Rome doing a little movie in Rome and I was invited to Andy Brownsburg's house who had a few people invited like um, Klaus Kinski, Roman Polanski, um, Andy Warhol, just a little get together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and how I met him was in Rome was I was sitting on the couch and I had met uh, Roman Polanski who was totally into the life of ants and he was talking and telling everybody these fascinating stories about ants and how ants live and the army of the ants and everything. And so I'm sitting on the couch and uh, all of a sudden the door opens up and, um, and Klaus Kinski walks in and he goes over to this beautiful Asian, young Asian woman sitting on one of the chairs and he goes over and he dries his hands on her beautiful, long, almost, you know, waist length hair, like a towel. <laughs> and he says, comes over and smiles, says, hi, I'm Klaus Kinski. I thought, what a jerk. <laughs> Anyhow, we did stay in touch. We did meet up in Paris and because um, he was in a movie that um, I was turned down by Romy Schneider, my own Austrian fellow actor. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. So we, we were on good terms. So I call Kinski and I say, I'm doing Entebbe and you're going to play Wilfred Böse. The um, you know the um, um, Meinhof group um, uh, terrorists that worked together with my character uh, Gabriele Tiedemann and he said who what I says you don't know about that he says no oh he says I don't, I don't, I don't read newspapers I said yeah I guess you don't <laughs> anyhow who's doing the movie I said well Menachem Golan blah 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 and well, who are they I said they're wonderful movie makers and. Um, and this is really a role you should play. Well, how much are they going to pay me? I want to have. And then he he threw out a number. And I, I repeated that number. And Menachem's sta- standing there like, Meshuggah and Meshuggah, he's pointing to his brain. He says, he's crazy. I said, well, you're not going to get that kind of money. But I tell you what, you talk to your agent. You tell him what I offered you because this is very important. But you tell me tomorrow because I need to know. Oh, boy. The next morning, I never knew he got up that early he called me very early he says oh yeah i want to play that i said okay great we're going to shoot it all in israel everything the um uh, ben gurion um and uh and tebi and um benghazi airports are all going to be at ben gurion airport we're shooting everything there so i go to my distributors to the money guys and i said okay i've got our mail start it's going to be klaus kinsey I said no I said, you've got to take him. He is the guy. Anyhow, they said, no, he's, he was known as the enfant terrible that, you know, a lot of people knew. And he had not so long before was touring in Germany with the Kishon play. And he was known to actually, when he heard everything, anything in the audience, he'd actually interrupt the play and spit out at the audience and stuff like that. And they said, no, we don't want him. And I said, listen, I put my hand in the fire for him. I will be responsible and I will tell him he's not going to get paid unless he behaves. And if he doesn't behave, we'll sue him on top of it. And they made me full responsible. And I called him. I said, listen, they don't want you. I put my hand in the fire. I said, you are in such trouble. If you give any trouble at all, you're not going to get paid till that movie is over. And we will sue the hell out of you. And I really had to be tough with him. I have to tell you something. From the day he arrived in Israel to the day he was finished, with the shoot, and we shot, we were in a hurry to get it done because we didn't want to, you know, it was already becoming yesterday's news. We wanted to get out fast, and this was a full-fledged, beautiful movie with big military action and everything. Everybody that saw it knows. And um, we shot sometimes 24 hours. I was sicker than a dog because we were inside the plane, you know, on the Mediterranean there where it was ice cold, and we had to look like we were sweating inside because we were in the plane on the ground in Benghazi and they spritzed us with water then we'd get out of our plane into the trailer 
and I had like the worst um, bronchitis and you name it and fever and the doctors were shooting me up every day with antibiotics but we got it done and he was a good guy but Klaus is he's he, he's just such a complex character and I mean one day at lunch we were sitting we were uh, we stayed at the Hilton Hotel in Tel Aviv and we're having lunch and then uh, he he sits there and he tells me how bad sugar is for you and he's eating and then he gets up and comes back with two pieces of cake that couldn't have had more sugar and icing <laughs> and cream and everything and he just smiles at me like he just wanted a reaction and I just looked at him and I smiled at him and I didn't say anything. That's what he like. He just likes to provoke people. You know, it was like that drying his hands on that woman's hair mm -hmm. to like say, look, I'm an asshole. But really deep down, he was, uh, he was a good character. He was a good guy. He behaved and he did an incredible job. And um, so he... Um, yeah, I mean, we, we met afterwards. He would always stay at the Hotel L'Hôtel in the Rue de Beaux-Arts in Paris. And, um, you know, that was Hemingway's, Hemingway's house. And um, they had, um, you know, renovated it to just little suites, a beautiful, beautiful little hotel. And we'd always go across the street with his, um, with his wife and we'd eat, um, uh, we'd go for uh, Thai food. And it was really wonderful. So... Um, and the movie turned out wonderful and we had problems over there because there were, um, you know, uh, threats of bombing the theater if we put it in the theaters and all kinds of things were going on at that time. But it, um, when I came here to the United States, uh, it's interesting, the first screening was in Las Vegas of all places and, um, it was screened in a, in a synagogue. I had never been in a Jewish synagogue and, um. I was invited to the Jewish synagogue because it was um, uh, screened for the community there. And it was kind of like my calling card, you know, like my business card. So when I came, I was known for that movie, which could or could not be a good thing in Hollywood, where the Jewish community runs the business. And here <laughs> I come in as a German terrorist. So, but that's history, okay? Oh, yeah. You must have been yes, so... Yes, we were nominated for Best Yeah. Friend. I'm very proud of that. We did not win the Oscar, but we were nominated, and that was uh, very important to me. And in 1978, uh, you moved to Hollywood. How did how was that? Uh... Well, I had been here before, and uh, when I came before, um, actually, when I was here before, I moved to Hollywood. Um, I was with William Morris and. Um, a lovely agent there uh, put me in the movie um, God's Gun, which took me to Israel. And um, that was a wonderful movie. But he said to me, he said, Sybil, you know, you're here. And I just happened to be here at the right time, the right moment, because the um, actress that they wanted for my role fell out. And he said, I think you would be perfect, and they just have to fly you from Munich down to Israel, and you can play this role. So there I was in Israel doing God's Gun with wonderful, wonderful, oh, uh, Lee Van Cleef, Jack Palance, um, uh, Leif Garrett, Richard Boone, um, wonderful cast. And, um, and I just love being in that movie. We had a wonderful time on the movie. I spent time with Lee Van Cleef and then when I came to Hollywood, visited him and <laughs> walked into his living room, which looked like a, a western saloon and and he told me wonderful stories and um, and of course, Jack Palance. I mean, he's just uh, such a character and um, my goodness, neither one of them are, no, are any longer with us. Leif, um, uh, I spoke to when I did one of the interviews. Uh, Leif was on an interview that I did here in the United States. So we kind of talked indirectly and said hello. He was wonderful in that role. And um, so, you know, when I was here and after I'd, I had done that and the agent said, you really have to be here because you have to be here to audition. You have to be here to meet people. So I came. So to me, it was... Actually, in Germany, they had offered me to go 
um, after I did Entebbe, they took me really seriously to the <laughs> extent of offering me to go through Austria, Switzerland, and Germany to do uh, a Francis Durbridge um, play, which would have taken me a couple years if it does well, really. And I said to myself, do I want Hollywood or do I want to be a stage actor? Mm. And really, I said to myself, I want to be a Hollywood star. I Stage acting was not, not really what I... I know a lot of actors say, oh, if you haven't been on the stage, you haven't done it. And I, you know, and I admire wonderful actors like Richard Burton um, who did that. Um, but, um, uh, or Cyril Cusack. You know, Cyril Cusack played my father in the Carlo Ponti movie I did, Run Run Joe. And, you know, he was in the old Vic um, still acting before he died. And... Um, so I really, really, and Cyril Cusack was Irish, right? Yeah, yeah, he's Irish. Yeah. I remember he was drinking Irish whiskey and I was drinking <laughs> Polish vodka. I was drinking Polish vodka because I was against the Russians. So I said, I don't drink Russian vodka. I'm going to drink. And that's what we drank uh, and sat and talked when we did our movie. Um, so, but to get back to Hollywood, that's what I decided. So I decided to give up a career, which I don't know where that would have went. Stage was not my thing. Hollywood, here I come. Now I'm here. And they say, what do you want here? There's like 5,000 people without work. And I said, okay, 5,001, but not for long. And it wasn't long uh, before I got my first row. And I took enough money with me just to stay for three months. I said, I'll take a look at it. And uh, if I'm okay with it, and I got the first role, and then soon thereafter, I got an offer for the next role. So mm -hmm. I decided to stay. This is where I'm going to stay. And here I am. <laughs> still here, and still here for quite a while to come. Good. That's good to hear. Um, in 1980, you worked with Roger Corman on Battle Beyond the Stars. What was that experience like? Well, that was one of my first movies. Um, that was um, a wonderful experience, an absolute wonderful experience. Um, first of all, I, you know, I've always been a tomboy. So the first movie I did, you know, I just played somebody's wife and somebody who kills the husband and then tries to kill everybody but the director in the movie and then um, Concord, you know, airport. Mm -hmm. 1980, I played a wife again with, you know, to Eddie Elbert. And, um, but when Roger came along and offered me, now, I love The Seven Samurai. And then that was redone. And basically, the remake of that, I played the Horst Buchholz character. He was kind of the outcast who goes along with the other warriors, right? Yeah. And in Battle Beyond the Stars, I got to play the only woman that goes along with all the others to, you know, help the, the good guys and kill the bad guys and save the planets. And um, so this, to me, was my dream come true because when I was little, I remember I used to go to junkyards and drive, pretend I was driving cars and my little boyfriend had to be my, you know, my sidekick. So here I was, I could fly a spaceship, and I'm a warrior, and I get to go with the guys. And so it was just incredible. And, uh, oh, boy, and then I saw the outfits. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, um, I loved it. I, I met with Jimmy Murakami, who's a wonderful director, um, and John Sayles. I mean, the screenplay, how could the screenplay not be incredible? It's a John Sayles screenplay. So, um, and Roger Corman was, was a sweet guy, and I met him not so long ago at a memorabilia show. He still looks great. We hug. We still talk about uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, and he said, that's one of my favorite movies I ever did, and you were wonderful, and thank you for helping make it happen, because I have to thank you in the U.K. and uh, your whole area, because when... When the movie came out, um, I was asked to go. You know, it wasn't the little computer technician was asked to go, even though she had the lead. But it was my character and my role that Warner Brothers, who distributed the movie worldwide, asked to go to Europe to promote the movie. Roger went to Asia, and I went to Europe. And the first place I went was the UK. And 
I must say we had the most wonderful, wonderful promotion and the fans came out in hordes and and I loved promoting it in the UK. I remember going to Birmingham and I was sitting there drinking beers with the guys gals and they loved my character and uh, and London was wonderful and of course I covered everything um, up and down the Thames so um, and and then I went to Austria I went to Germany I went to Italy and and just and, and you know Netherlands and all over Europe and it just got a wonderful um, um, reaction. Um, the funniest part of my my touring to promote that movie was probably in Sweden, and uh, we were in Stockholm. And uh, the, the you know, Warner Brothers guy comes up to me in the morning before uh, um, I had my interview, and he says, "You know, no, you have to understand, you're doing an interview for the most important newspaper in Sweden. It's the Aftonbladet, but the guy is a real stinker." He's as cold as an iceberg. He doesn't like Hollywood. And I don't know how he's going to approach you, but just take it with a grain of salt, get through it, have a couple beers and relax. Well, I go and meet him. I go and meet him in the beautiful um, um, Palace Hotel there. And um, we order a smorgasbord. And I order a beer. He orders a beer. So we already broke the ice by me drinking beer. He probably thought, oh, I'm this snob from Hollywood. I'm going to order champagne. No, I drank Swedish beer. And then we started talking about Ingmar Stenmark and, uh, and, you know, and the Austrian skiers and the Swedish skiers and, uh, and uh, Ingmar Bergman and, and, and the Swedish filmmakers. And I thought, I'm on his turf. I have to show my interest and my love for what his country is all about. We talked the longest time about everything except for my movie. <laughs> and then he says, okay, now. He says, you got your costume? You, you, know, you got that, that beautiful costume with you? I said, oh, yeah. He says, can I come to your hotel tomorrow morning and take pictures? I said, I would love you to do that. Next morning he comes, takes pictures. I, ha I have a huge picture of my Valkyrie outfit in the newspapers and the Warner Brothers guy comes and said, Sybil, what did you do to that guy? I mean, uh, you broke that iceberg. It's it, uh, un amazing. We've never had a review so positive, so fantastic. <laughs> and you in the outfit, you, you broke an iceberg up there. So it just goes to show you that movie did bring out the best in everyone. And um, but no matter, you know, what I do. Um, I'm still that girl from the country, you know, we, we grow potatoes where I was born. I'm still that country girl. And you know, the old saying, you can take the girl out of the country, but never the country out of the girl. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important, um, because too many people get so caught up in their own selves that they take themselves too serious and become snooty and impolite and ridiculous. And, um, I just feel that, um, I've never understood people that don't want to go out and promote their movies, you know? You do your work, that's part of your work, you know, and your fans want that. And and to me, and I want to say again to you and all my fans out there that are listening, thank you. Because if it weren't for my fans and for you, all of you, the press too. I've always had a great relationship with the press, great relationship with my fans. Because we're all one family, we all make it happen. But I couldn't do it without you, and I just want to say thank you. Oh, that's great. That's really nice to hear. That's really good. And I'm going to ask a question now as a fan, because we are both, we, we started this podcast like over a year ago, and the first film that we talked about was an Andy Sedaris film called Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Oh. And of course, you worked with Andy on Malibu Express, which both myself and Tom have watched many times and love as well. Um, please tell Probably us Probably all... only because of that, that magnum. Right, the Magnum and the DeLorean, right? That's why you <laughs> I know. You guys are into guns and cars. <laughs> you happened to see me in there, right? Oh, it was good to see you in it. What was it like to work with Just because Andy? I matched my dress to the DeLorean, right? <laughs> but who noticed the dress in that car? Hey. <laughs> This was this a film that had got like I'm presuming it was like a short turnaround for his films because they weren't huge budget films. 
No, but he had, you know, Andy had, uh, he had what a Roger Corman has, or now Fred Olin Ray, who all I love, because he mm-hmm. knew, he knew the formula. Put a yeah. couple of beautiful people in there, if possible, one name at least that you can sell it on, make it look good, make it entertaining, make it exciting. And that's what people wanted to see. And you don't need a lot of money. I've always said, uh, I love small movies. A lot of talent goes a long way. And those were Andy's movies. And, um, and you know, God bless his soul. He's no longer with us. That was him. He, he was a fun-loving guy. I, he used to cook, and he'd have over a few friends, and, and he'd make beautiful Greek food. And we'd just sit around his house in between movies and just talk and be silly. And he loved life. He loved people. He loved movies. And you see that in his movies. And that's what people wanted, you know. I mean, that's what that's what the audience wants. They want something that's entertaining because you have drama at home, you have problems at home. Who needs to see a lot of problems? I don't want to knock any serious movies. I've been a part of it, and I also have a couple in my mind I want to do. But still, in general, I feel we need to give the audience what they want to see. And that's what Andy knew how to do so well. And I love being in that movie. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor. Uh, he's a great um, a director. And, um, you know, he'd let you do what you want to do. Or he'd make a suggestion. And he'd say, Sybil, you could do this or do what you want. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, but see, it was that lightness that he had in his movies that, that he brought to it. Because if you had a better idea, he'd let you do it, you know. And he didn't care if you changed the dialogue because it fit better. Or, you know, he knew when he hired somebody, they were into their roles and professional about it. And it was just like his movies were all being a family. It was a family working with him. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you haven't directed. As, was that anything you ever wanted to get into, directing at all? I actually directed a, well, that doesn't really count, but uh, um, it does count because it was really successful, but it was a, a corporate video mm-hmm. for um, a dot-com company, and uh, it was just for them to show, and then when they showed it at one of their uh, get-togethers in a big uh, Hyatt hotel at the LA airport, uh, all of their and I don't know, they had like, I think, 350 people in the room. They all wanted to buy it for their clients. So it, it became a commodity. And uh, and they just loved the style and everything. And I said, yeah, I do want to direct. But, you know, um, I actually, I know you guys are into music, too. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you saw or did you hear about the, the, the um, music video that I produced for The Last Vegas? Have you heard about The Last Vegas? I did, yeah. I was reading about it earlier today, yeah. The Dark Side. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. if you go to YouTube, you can go to YouTube and it's on YouTube. And I, I really love that. The Dark uh, Side was uh, a single on, uh, you know, that the uh, the Las Vegas did. And Chad Cherry, who is the, uh, the singer and uh, the boss, he, um, a sweet guy. We've known each other. And he said, Sybil, I'd love you to be, you know, come on and, um, and, put yourself in it and and produce this and he had someone to direct it so i said okay sent me the script i liked it and we did it and have you seen it yeah yes i have and i'll make sure i'll put um i'll put a link to it in the podcast notes on our website as well so everybody can see it then yeah you too it was uh it was a lot of fun and it's had great success and um and i just love the 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 last vegas because they're um you know you talk about the 80s they're kind of like the 80s groups i mean they're Mm -hmm. hard rock heavy metal and and chad cherry is just the most um well i don't want to say too much because he's got his fans out there but by the way he's coming to the uk Ah, they're going on tour they're going on tour um Let's see, October, November, December. Yeah, October, November, December. And I think he's going to be in the UK um, in uh, November. So if you go to their website, which I think is just, you know, www.thelastvegas.com, mm-hmm. you can see, uh, yeah, they're going to all over Europe. And they're going to be in UK for the first time. Ah. And I think they're going to be very successful. And I spoke to Chad and told him, because when I produced it, um, I said afterwards, I said, you know, I'd really love to direct whenever, you know, your next uh, single 
or a single that we agree on that I really like that I can sink my teeth in I want to direct and he said yeah I want you to do it so we have an agreement that I'm going to direct um I was offered not so long ago to direct a movie um but that has been a little bit in turnaround that's just changed a little bit in its nature which I can't talk about Mm -hmm. and then I said to myself you know I'm producing a few things I'm producing takes so much time and it takes a lot of responsibility and of course I think if I produce something then I think my fans will want to see me in it so if I'm in front behind the camera and directed that's a little much so I was just thinking although I'll direct something in between for fun like that I also have you know maybe a movie I'll do I might start with co-directing so that I don't so that I have someone that can be you know handling everything when I'm in front of the camera it's very much something I want to do very much um but like I said I want to because I want to I want to create and produce the kind of movies I want to do and be in front of the camera because that's what I have to do because, you know, when you don't get the roles you want, then that's what I have to do. Mm-hmm. So I think I have to right now focus on the producing and being in front of the camera, which I still love doing. Like I said, as long as my fans want me there, I'll be there. I can always direct when they don't want to see me anymore. <laughs> I'll go behind <laughs> the camera. But um, so for right now, I'll direct something in between, like I said, because, yeah, that's really what I'd love to do. But right now I have to produce yeah. and be in front. And I am producing something that uh, I've been working on. I have the screenplay, and it's Ruger, based on L.A. Bounty. And you guys probably saw L.A. Bounty, right? Yeah, because I was going to ask, well, I was just going to say it was the late 80s, wasn't it, when you formed your own production company, and you, pr- you produced L.A. Bounty because you starred in it, and you wrote the script as well. Yes, and I now have a script, and I do not own L.A. Bounty, but I own the character. I own my character. Ah, oh, good. And I'm doing now a movie based on her. And I have the screenplay. Um, and I'm, I'm working on what else? The most important thing, the funding, because with no money, there's no show. You know, it's called show business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so I'm working on that. Um, and when I get that budget, I will also do a video game. And I have wonderful artwork already that I like, but I'm also talking to um, some other um, artists to do the comic book. So I want to do a comic book and then a video game, which will probably end up being an apps game because that's nowadays what the kids do. Everything is, you know, on your smartphone. So um, it'll be uh, it'll be the movie Ruger. Yeah. And I want to either do it as a feature film or I also have a Bible written out and I would not be opposed to doing it as a TV series either. So we'll see. What I'd really like to do is do it as a movie and then maybe the spinoff. But if the movie does really well, then I'll do some sequels. And uh, that's the Hollywood thing now. Sequels, <laughs> prequels, whatever. <laughs> and um, and then I can always, you know, later on spin it off into a TV series and and the time, I think the timing is really good because with, like, again, I have to say the heat and the expendables coming out, I think um, I really want to get on the bandwagon now of, you know, I was kind of like, and it was you, the press, the media that said I was a pioneer in my own time and mm-hmm. being these, you know, action-oriented women in the 80s, okay, the 80s, which you are covering. Yeah. The damn 80s where, hey, 1980, actually the last best woman's role went out in 1980. You know what that was. Mm-hmm. Gloria. Mm-hmm. Remember that great movie? I'm, I'm racking my brains trying to. I know I should do. I'm... Gloria. Tom? No. I, I'm there Tom, as well. You I'm were racking. just born. You were in diapers. <laughs> I'm I sorry. You was. were in diapers. Oh, what's her name? What's her name? Um, uh, um, oh. Um, um, Cassavetes. Cassavetes directed it and she was married to Cassavetes. What is her name? Um, okay, I'll come back in a minute. But uh, oh, oh my. Uh, um, oh, shucks. Okay. All right. I bet you all my fans are out there saying, oh, it's, 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 it's. Okay. <laughs> but that was the last time. 
last, think about it. You guys, do you, can you remember one good, strong action female role in the 80s? Ooh, I'm trying to think now in the 80s. Were you, Tom? Yeah, I'm thinking. Um... <laughs> You say nothing's no, leaping immediately in, I, to mind. I told you, you got to do that. You got to do this, <laughs> Dave. You got to do this. Although, you know what? I have, I have guys coming up to me and they say, "Oh my God, you! Oh, I loved you as the prostitute in Bluebeard." I look at him. I say, "My God, you were in diapers when you saw that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. So, um, but um, basically, well, look, I really feel. That you know, without getting into um, without getting into politics, because that would be a whole other movie and a whole other story. But um, in the eighties, who was in who who was president? I mean, it was you know Ronald Reagan. Mm, Reagan, and yeah. it was, and I do feel that um, absolutely um, movies. And politics go together. I mean, look at the movies that are out now. You know, White House Down and and all those movies are reflecting politics. And that was that was the macho era. I mean, there was Rambo's, the Rambo's, Commandos, uh, you name it. It was all macho men movies, and women were basically almost put back behind the stove. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, I feel that um, when the studios made those movies and made no good roles and gave no women good roles, um, that was terrible. And who was doing it and took advantage of that? It was Roger Corman and Fred Olin Ray. And they made little fantasy movies, yes. Um, Even, you know, movies like uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, um, who would have thought of putting a woman in there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roger did. And Fred Olin Ray, when I did The Tomb. I mean, I was a jewel thief, you know. And so we had to go to the filmmakers that made little independent movies. And God bless their soul. And thank all of you out there who did that. Because um, it was really, really important for actors like me, who was then able to... Um, play good, strong roles, and that's why in the 80s, I played those roles and basically, uh, you know, pioneered the road for women like Angelina Jolie, which I think is just, uh, she's absolutely incredible, um, and Paramount doing, you know, Tomb Raider and um, taking it from there. And and, um, so... The 80s was, was my my time. I'm happy I did it, but I was only able to do it through the B-movies, but I don't care. I am, I'm, very, um, I'm very proud of those movies. And by the way, you know, the difference between B and A, it's just the budget. It's just the budget. And like I yeah. said, with, this, with the little money and a lot of talent, there, it goes a long way. So um, that's what's important. No, no, that's good. No, it's really good to hear because so many people, like you, you mentioned, will totally discount a lot of the the work that they've done purely because of that. But you know, the films that you know, the films that you're in, like Gina Mal- Rollins, Gina Rollins, Gina uh-huh. Rollins, Gina <laughs> Rollins, yeah, and she was married to Cassavetes, and so that was 1980, exactly 1980, if I remember correctly. And after that, goodbye, Joe. Okay. So the <laughs> 90s again, women's roles picked up. So here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you, well, you've told us so many great stories just in the last 50 minutes an hour. Have you ever thought of doing an autobiography? I'm writing it. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yes, yes, I am writing it. And oh my gosh, well, that brings me to Marshall Turrell. Marshall Turrell wrote um, books on Steve McQueen. And Elvis Presley, also other celebrities, but those are the two that he is, I know, very, very proud of. And um, he has right now a movie um, being made from his uh, 
book from it's called Elvis Still Taking Taking Care of Business, mm-hmm. and uh, the movie's going to be called Fame and Fortune. And um, I was fortunate to meet him through the Producers Guild, who I'm a member of, and um, he approached me and he said, "Sybil." Um, you should write your autobiography. I would be very interested. So I started writing it and writing and writing. And I said, you know what, Marshall? I'm not ready to end this book um, because there's so much I still want to put in it. I just don't feel like I'm ready to. He said, just write it as you go. Do a picture book, meanwhile. Because I said, you know, I got so many pictures. What am I going to do? We're going to put all that in the book? He said, no, 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 do a picture book. So I'm letting the... I'm writing it whenever I get to it, which is almost never nowadays, but I've written uh, probably half of it, and half of it is up to coming to Hollywood, because I really wanted to do two parts, the European version and the, and the international version and everything there, which has a lot, and then coming to America, the second part. But he said, no, book has to be all in one. I mean, you know, John Fonda wrote her book and she wrote, I don't know, five, six hundred pages. And it was all in one. You can't divide it up. Um, It has to be in one. So I said, "Okay." well, the second half is going to have to wait because there's so much more to come yet that I want in there. So now I'm doing a picture book. And oh, boy, there's it's picture after picture after picture. So that's where I'm writing right now. But you'll be interested to know um, Marshall Terrell um, is also doing, uh, his friend is, owns the, I don't know if you guys, have you heard of Meckham Auctions? Meckham Auctions are, they're, um, they're the largest car collector auction house in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're having an auction here in Los Angeles. Uh, everyone can go to my um, Facebook, okay, um, can I give that out, or do you want me to give that out at the end? Uh, yeah, we'll go through it all at the end, if that's all right. We'll, we'll okay, uh, let everybody yeah. know how it'll, they can follow you. Yeah, it'll be on my Facebook. Um, the, the information is there, and you can go directly to the um, to the auction site, because there's going to be an auction, uh, and there's a big uh, VIP um, reception on Thursday, July 25th, here in Los Angeles, in the in the huge Barker hangar, which is at the um, the private airport here in Santa Monica, and they're going to have just. Let me tell you a few things, like Ringo Starr's 57 Chevy Coupe, Whoa. or Coupe, I guess you call it Coupe, right? <laughs> um, and, um, and also Ringo Starr's, what he called, I think, Diamond Power Ring is going to be auctioned. Steve McQueen's 69 Chevy, that was, oh. a, um, a, I think, a, a Baja truck. And John Lennon's 70s aviator prescription sunglasses. That's only a few items. Mm -hmm. And I have been invited because I am auctioning off because I said if I ever put it anywhere, it's got to be a good place. And this is a top auction house of the world. And you can see with the examples I told you what they have there. I'm going to be auctioning off my Howling 2 leather and brass costume. Oh, wow, that's the a Howling costume. 2, that beautiful costume that was designed by uh, Peter Mitchell, who did the Mad, Mad Max. So now you know why that leather outfit was so great, because he so, did yeah. Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm going to be auctioning off my costume from uh, Halloween. The remake, you know, the John Carpenter remake um, that uh, Rob Zombie directed, wrote and directed and produced um, as... Nurse Wynn, together with Malcolm McDowell as the doctor. Wow, they're two good things to be done, that's for sure. Yeah, Halloween is a little bit young. I thought I would wait, but I've had the Howling Howling 2 costume for so long, and I said I don't want it to, because it's real leather, it's beautiful, and the breasts, I don't want it to, you know, to start getting brittle um, before someone could really appreciate it. And I thought... um, this is the time to do it. So mm-hmm. Marshall Terrell is, um, is a dear friend, and um, he is my chief ed- uh, editor-in-chief on my um, picture book and also on my autobiography. To get oh, back yeah. to your question. <laughs> 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 my stories always uh, have a big 
wind. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll definitely put links up to the auction as well up on the website too. Thank uh, you. Before and you we know we can, and you know we can always do a follow up because I know we're not going to get to everything today that you wanted to ask. I'm sure, but we can do a follow up because in a couple of months there'll be exciting things going on, and yeah. that's oh, that when you'll be uh, interested just to have a little update. That would be brilliant. Yeah, if if that would, that's yeah. okay with you, Sybil, we would love to have a follow up with you as well. Yeah, sure. Thank you. I just invited myself. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. I don't. I don't wait around. <laughs> I can't wait hey. for you guys to invite me. <laughs> you can invite yourself anytime that you can. Good. Thank you. You've given us a lot of links over the last hour, Sybil. And if you could just repeat for the listeners uh, the the way that they can follow you online, be it either the Facebook or your website or Twitter. Um, we'll put all, all the links up, as, as I've said, onto the onto our podcast notes. But if you could tell everybody how they can follow you and keep up to date with everything that you've got planned. Yes, thank you. And uh, I would say probably um, the two best ways would be, number one, through Facebook and my fan page. And that's where you will see my postings for the auction as well, and you can follow that. And that is www.facebook.com forward slash Sybil Danning, and then go to my fan page. Then you can also go to www.twitter.com forward slash Sybil Danning. And you can go to my, I would go there probably last. I need to update that. Uh, that has, uh, unfortunately, I lost my wonderful Jim blog who um, was uh, taking care of my website. So uh, it needs a little updating, but my feel free to go to my website because you can there you can order posters, pictures, DVDs, um, see what's going on. Uh, I have a theater there with um, which is down at the moment, um, but you can also see trailers there. And that is www.sibyldanning.net. Okay. That's brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, that's all right. And well, I think whoever came up with the phrase "you should never meet your heroes" didn't meet you or talk to you because it's been a great hour to chatting to you. It really has. Um, and we've got so many questions more. I think a part two is definitely in order somewhere down oh, the line. Definitely. I look forward to it. Absolutely. I I enjoyed talking. I did most of the talking, but I enjoyed talking with you too. Thank you. Oh, that's, and that's... I look forward to doing it again. Yes, we will. Yeah, please keep in touch. And then, you know, we'll, we'll sort another chat out with you. And I'm sure you'll have lots more to tell us as well. Absolutely. And I want to then give you an update of right now, like I said, I'm working on a few very exciting projects and um, I want to get back to you. Uh, Frank Zanka is, uh, has already written my comic book. He's a wonderful comic book writer and, and uh, he wrote his own comic book called Shadow Raven and he did his own game of Shadow Raven, wrote the novel and an audio book and we're also doing a, a movie together. He's writing a screenplay for Escape from Berlin, which is a World War II thriller. So there's just so much going on and I would like to give you something very current happening and... Um, my manager, Peter, will let you know when that is good, and, and then you guys can coordinate, and I very much look forward to talking to you soon. Oh, we look forward to it, too. Thank you very oh, yes. much. Yeah. And, uh, well, best wishes to you from, from all of us in the UK, and it's been a pleasure, and we look forward to speaking to you again really soon. Thank you very much, and all my love to all of you out there in the UK. Thank you for being such wonderful fans and loyal fans, and uh, also the rest of the world that is listening. Thank you to all of my fans. Um, the last, you know, uh, I did interviews for um, um, The Dark Side. You had some, oh, I think like you gave me six pages in The Dark Side, and, uh, and Empire, the, the movie magazine Empire did a beautiful story um, and had, of course, my, my great Valkyrie out, outfit on there on, for Battle Beyond the Stars. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for being so loyal. Thank you, and talk to you soon again. All the best to everyone. My love to you. All right. Thanks very much, Sybil. Thank you, Sybil. 
All right. Thank bye -bye. you, Dave. Thank you, Tom. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. So, Tom, part two. I can't wait already for part two with Sybil. That was superb. Oh, that's a, that was just brilliant. As we said, so much more to ask her. So many. Well, I said about the, all the stories she had. Just superb, superb. Mm -hmm. So, really looking forward to talking to her again. Yeah, yeah, and doing a catch up on all the current stuff that she's got planned to oh, yes. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's got a lot going on. So, mm -hmm. very busy so, lady. Oh yeah, our our first part two to an in conversation. Yeah, wow, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well, Sybil, give uh, all of the details of how you can follow her. Of course, Tom, you can tell the listeners how they can follow us and keep up to date with everything that we do. Yeah, of course. Our website is 80spicturehouse.co.uk. And our email is contact at 80spicturehouse.co.uk. Alternatively, on the website at the top of the page, there's a contact us form. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash 80spicturehouse. And our Twitter is at 80s Picture House. Right. And with that, we shall disappear for this one. But no doubt we will be back very soon. So thanks for listening. Big thanks to Sybil for joining us tonight. That was uh, a, a cracking hour that just flew by, didn't it? That went by so quick. Oh, it really did. It really did. And, uh, well, we'll see you all next time.